Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast, part of the ACAST Creator Network. This week, I'm joined by the brilliant and very funny Kerry Godleyman, famous for both her stand-up and her acting. She took time out of a busy schedule while she's touring Bosch, which is running till November the 10th, to talk to me about everything. I absolutely loved her in Whitstable Pearl, which you can still watch on Acorn TV via Amazon Prime. Also, adult material on Channel 4 and Trigger Point. And the good news is that's coming back for season two. And of course, we chatted all about Afterlife and Ricky Gervais. And she told me how people react to her in the street. She is a complete joy to be around and she has proper funny bones. Don't forget, you can keep up to date by following and subscribing, please, to the podcast, where a new episode is released every Monday. Leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. And whilst you're there, why not leave us a review? We love to hear your thoughts. Now, on with the show. Kerry Godleman, honestly, you have proper funny bones. You're one of those people that I've... I've overindulged in you over the past couple of times oh that always freaks me out when people say that because you're like oh I hope I'm the family have sat and watched your live at the Apollo I mean everything proper funny bones but here's something I want to ask you okay while I was doing my research and I was listening and I was reading interviews oh my god can they not how fast do people mention the person I'm not going to mention? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I'm not going to mention him until the end. Okay. Because, well, it's like, hello, Kerry. It's when people say to me, oh, Gabby, nice to meet you. Did you ever shag Chris Evans? I go, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because oh. you're often associated with one specific thing and I've done lots of different You've things. You've done loads. Well. So we're talking about you. But it's yes. lovely to well, you saying about the comedy thing because I am often associated with making people cry. So it's kind of nice to be reminded <laughs> that it was the other thing that I did before. Oh, the, no, it's a laugh. funny thing. You, but, but you, so you've made me laugh for a very long time. Oh, that's And And I've, I've, it's sort of sitting opposite you. I feel like I know you so well because your, your stand-up is very personal. Yeah. And yeah. it's always as if you're just talking to your best friend. That's what I've always tried to nail, exactly that, is that I find if I get creatively stuck or I think, oh, I'm supposed to be this or one should be that, I just remind myself that all I need to capture is that I'm just talking to a friend. That's well, how I can make it work for me. And I can imagine my closest friends and trying to make them laugh and then I can access something that, you know, we can get in the way of our own creativity quite often. And if I'm trying to sort of free it up, that's how I free it up. I go, well, how would I make her laugh, my mate? 
That's, you know. So did you always do that? Were you like that as a child? Yeah, yeah. comedy was always sort of um, something I loved, yeah. And I did like making people laugh. And sometimes that's not always appropriate. And as you grow up, you sort of realise you don't have to constantly try and um, make people laugh. It's a weird thing, isn't it, humour? Because it can also sometimes be irritating if people... Um, it's a sort of superpower when it works, but actually it can be a burden when it's inappropriate. You know, that kind of like, oh, maybe some situations... One shouldn't always go but, after the gag, but should. So, what are the situations you shouldn't? Because I'm, I'm the worst. You know, a beautiful, lovely friend of mine. When she died, she before she died, she said, "I know you're going to get the giggles at my funeral." Oh, that's funny. And I did. I did. Well, Bizarrely. yeah. Well, that's a very specific situation, isn't it? Because often, you know, like when funerals and people talk about that kind of situation but I mean like it just plagues you through school like every report was class clown blah 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 you know and then work like proper jobs or I could only describe as other proper jobs that weren't these kind of jobs yeah. that I ended up making sort of performance my job but when I had job jobs or you know office jobs or whatever and it's like people just don't want you to sit there dicking about all day, you know or or yeah. do, I, I think the thing about comedy is often you're trying you're sort of might be the one saying oh look the king's got no trousers on and in some situations that's just not appropriate they're like the king's got trousers on can you just can you just meet the yeah. targets yeah and go along with you know the facade of uh normality or whatever and if you're constantly subverting it it's irritating <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny because I, I mean, I had, I, I'm obviously never done stand up, never would. Honestly, I would, I would poo myself. That's it. I well, I would. did for the best part of the first sort of five you to seven yourself. years. Yeah, there yeah, would be frequent lovely. episodes. Not literal, but there's, um, stage fright is not something anyone swerves. But, and often people say, I think I couldn't do it or I'd be too scared to do it or whatever. And you go, well, I was scared, but I just did it anyway. That's I didn't let amazing. it stop me. So you're not, are you not a fearful person? Yeah, no, then? I am a fearful person. But, but you don't let it stop, stop me. you? No. Oh, that's such no. a, that is a superpower. Being scared is okay. Yeah. Just be scared and still do it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I always, when I was little, my whole thing was about making people laugh. Always at school. It's such a lovely work. thing just to make people laugh. It's a lovely thing but, to be able to do. But my report said the same thing. Yeah. It was just, could she stop? And then sometimes there are moments in your life when you're like, I want to be taken seriously. And there's nothing more absurd than a clown screaming, take me seriously. But making a, 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 a living, okay, so not just a job, but a living out of being funny, that's quite a leap of faith. Yeah. To be the person that goes, you know, to, to push you over that edge. And other com your, all of your friends, all the lovely comedians, Rob Beckett, who I... I love him and yeah, known him since great. he was well he still is quite <laughs> um but uh but making that okay saying right I know I can make people laugh I'm now gonna step out there yeah. and get paid to make people laugh that's yeah. that's quite a well the jump for jump. me was um staggered with other little mini decisions so there were things that eased that sort of so that take jump. me through those well acting and drama yeah. school so I always did drama so performance was always something I did and then because I didn't really know how you became a comic I sort of became an actor because that was a more legitimate thing. And I went to youth theatre and then I went to drama yeah. school. And then when I left drama school, I, I did get a bit of work, but not loads. And it is a bit of a tough um, job. And then you have to find other ways of paying the rent. So you're kind of sort of piecemealing bits of work together. 
And I used to do this thing called forum theatre, which is like a kind of training. It's kind of like corporate acting work, if you know what I mean. You like role play and stuff like that. And it's when you go into various work contexts and sort of train people or facilitate training programs in anything from uh, bullying in the workplace to diversity recruitment and all these different areas of employment law or blah, blah, blah. And it was always um you do bits of drama so you'd have characters and stuff but you'd come out through the fourth wall and you'd talk to the delegates they were officially called but in my head it was always the audience yeah and talk to them directly so I kind of bridged that thing between acting and character and talking directly to the audience and I was quite comfortable with it and I found humor quite useful because obviously these situations are a bit dry so obviously humor kind of loosens them up so I was I was kind of getting closer to the sensation and physicality of stand-up. So I was sort of thinking, oh, you know, I know it's the daytime and these people are all sober, but if it was dark and they'd had a few drinks, that's stand-up comedy. So that it came from you, your Well, I was comfortable with standing on stage, talking directly as myself to an audience. I'd been doing a lot of it. And I kind of just, I, I think for a lot of people, just the physicality of doing that is alien to them. But it wasn't alien to me. I was doing it every day for a job. So I didn't, I wasn't nervous about standing on stage with a See, microphone and talking fantastic. directly to an audience. So all of those drama students, I mean, so many friends of mine, uh, after leaving drama college, they they did this, the same. Yeah, that's exactly the same as work. you. And they actually loved it yeah I loved it because it was performing yeah it was performing you're doing something useful you're making a connection which is all the things you love about acting and drama anyway you're taking characters and circumstances and situations and you're sort of experimenting with um you know hypothetical situations you're like well if we demonstrate this sort of behavior what sort of impact does that hold on that you know you're kind of playing around with situations which is what plays are so that it's funny because I think I think of you as a comedian, even though I suppose I first saw you acting. But in my head, because I'm a super fan of your comedy, that I, I don't. I to me, you're one in the same. Well, they merged after after the unmentionable. The unmentionable. We're not mentioning him. <laughs> We're not saying like he shall not be named. It did. They, they, those two worlds came much closer together after I'd worked with uh, that person, Mr. G. Yes. So I, um, I, I then found that my my acting career obviously elevated and took off. Also, my stand up profile went up a bit around the same time. It all kind of moved up a gear around the same time. But I had been doing both for a long time and I and acting wise I'd had a bit on the bill and I'd done a yeah, dog roll yeah. ad and I'd, I'd just been kicking around for a long time turning up on the odd thing like a part on Miranda and a, you know a nice Miranda. yeah like some occasionally people still come up to me because they've been watching old Miranda you know reruns and they're like I saw your episode. so it just it they all bobbed along for a long time and then it all just sort of stepped up so when it stepped up for the unmentionable was that <laughs> no it's making did, it seem as if it's when, I know <laughs> But, but um, and when he listens, he'll be like, oh, what? Would you say my name? No, we're not saying your name. Uh, but, but when it did step up, set, step up, the fame thing is is strange, isn't it? Because suddenly you went from, like you say, parts in Miranda, parts in all sorts. Uh, I will talk about Trigger Point and all sorts. You were in Whitstable. Uh, oh, Whitstable Pearl. Yes. Yeah. Loved that. Um, so you were doing all of those other things, but suddenly it leapt up a gear. Yeah. And then, so you're, I presume your stand-up 
went to a different level. Absolutely, as well. because also around that time, I um, started doing way more panel shows. Like I'd always been a bit talking of fit. Well, Taskmaster is a lovely, fun one, but I'd always been really scared of doing things like Mot the Week or for a long time. I sort of uh, I didn't. I wasn't quite brave enough to do that. It's interesting you saying about nerves. I wasn't as nervous about stand up as I was about doing panel shows. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Those, yeah. those the, the, they the did whole lad me. mentality. Yes, which I don't was. think is the case. Exactly. As I don't think was. it's the case anymore. Yeah. And by the time I came around to doing it, I wasn't even the only woman on the show yeah. anymore. So I think a lot's changed in the world oh, of Oh, big time. But I was nervous of that. But when I finally, um, when things lined up for it to be more possible, I was more confident about it. And so that kind of comedy elevation also boosted up because of Live at the Apollo, Mot the Week, these other things, Taskmaster, these other things coming up in tandem with the acting stuff sort of picking up. So it's always been quite nice because it's felt like I've got two jobs. The seesaw that's absolutely balanced in yes, the middle. Yes, yes. That's quite nice. And now it feels a bit like they are sort of interconnected. Well, let's more. okay. So well, let's pick on uh, for one of them. Let's do live at the Apollo. There's there's a routine you do. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to quote your routine back to you, but as a family, we love it. Which is one about choosing names. Oh God, you know it's so funny that because it really. I was talking about names only this weekend. It's a compelling topic, isn't oh, it? Oh, but it is. Um, but it's so funny. And you're lying about chastity. I don't. It makes us all <laughs> as a family. It just makes such it an old-fashioned notion, isn't it? And your son. So, did you really call your son Frank? Yeah, he's called Frank, and it didn't occur to me it had double meaning. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was and just now, the end gag. He is one of the most Frank people I think I've ever met. Is he, he has really? lived up to his name. <laughs> so, for people who don't know the routine, you talk about how you've got to be so careful. Yes, when you have a baby. Choosing your a name. name. Yeah, because the name Grace might be ill-suited to your daughter. <laughs> That might not fit. She'll you know. just walk into it. She'll be just a, a galumphing oaf, I think is the phrase <laughs> I use. Crashing oh into God, things and being inappropriate. Me, it's properly funny. But I that's... love that topic of names and naming. My, We went to Latitude Festival this year and this comedian who, uh, who I know, but he didn't know that he was chatting to my son, Frank. Frank was down the front at the comedy tent and... Um, this comic started chatting to him and he said, um, what's your name? And Frank said, Frank. And he said, where's your mum? And he just went, oh, mum's off elsewhere or whatever. And he went, what's your mum's name? And he went, Kerry. And he went, oh, that's a name that's not coming back, isn't it? <laughs> it really tickled me. <laughs> I thought, sod you. <laughs> but it's true. Names go in and out of fashion. They, oh, they really do. You know. My eldest daughter, she always says, Mum, why did you get... I, we gave her a very different name. Yeah. And uh, she goes, why did you do that? I said, because people won't forget it. She goes, oh, okay. I hated my name growing up as well because my name meant means Gabby, somebody who talks a lot, and I never shut up. Oh, I would have never made that association oh, if you had. Yeah, at school. That was in the report. Gosh. She never stops laughing and she never stops talking. I've school reports, man. They're like early reviews, aren't they? They're like, oh, how dare you? They were so right. <laughs> they were so right. As Same, mine, class clown. There we go, yeah. you see. They know. They Teachers know. know. So so you're live at the Apollos, which I love, and then Mock the Week, which you were on. And I, oh, it's bad of the BBC to get rid of that. That's just a Yeah, it does thing. seem a shame. It does seem a shame, especially because the show had evolved quite a lot from its early days. I mean, that early reputation of it being very competitive and male and blah, 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 I think that was certainly true, but it really moved on. There's a whole, there's a whole big petition going on. Is there? Yeah. 
Oh, I didn't know. People that. don't want it to end. But let's talk about Taskmaster. You knew that's where I was. I was weaving. <laughs> that's, that's my absolute favourite. Gosh, I what that. a great show! Yeah, it is and a you great won show. it. I can't believe I won it. When it comes up, I always feel compelled to point out I won by one point. It yeah, wasn't like won, a, no. Forget that. You won. It. I won it. I won it. But it was, was it the best one to do? Because Alex, I love. Yeah, I love Alex's Alex. brain is a, is a wonderful place. <laughs> it's just what goes on in there and the stuff he comes up with is extraordinary, really, isn't it? That he can come up with those tasks. It's so creative and playful. He He's very, very clever and mm. so lovely. Such yeah. a nice guy. But it's funny that, so the unmentionable one <laughs> and Taskmaster. is So the unmentionable one is first. <laughs> and I, there was a couple of interviews with the unmentionable man where it's as if you didn't, you weren't even in the, I was getting so frustrated. I'm going, She's there. She's sitting. <laughs> Stop talking to the unmentionable and talk to her. But also then the next thing is Taskmaster. Yeah. It's like, hello, I have had a, I have a whole life. Yes, a whole other career and a past. Yeah, a load that. of work. Yeah. So when you go for auditions now, I'd, or maybe you don't need to. Oh, 100% so, need to. Oh, you still Well, do. it's self-tapes now since possibly the lockdown. I think yeah. now the going in for auditions is sort of pretty much okay, so self-tape. Yeah, yeah self-taping. I was showing my age there. No, so no, it's, it's a really recent development. I was talking about it only yesterday with another actor. I was like, actually, that's clearly... Like kids' open evenings, they're all online now. They're not I know. going back. I quite like that. I do quite like it, but sometimes I'm like, I really want to talk to you directly. But um, I know, and but that funny little five-minute window that you yeah, get. you get that, yeah, yes. But self tapes do seem to be the thing now, and I very much do go. Oh, you up. still have to yeah, do, them. Still do them. So when you do them, is there an ex? Is there a different? Do you think there's a different expectation now? Uh, yes and no. So some types, some work that um, I think I can sense that it's come. They've come and asked for me. And then other stuff, like I went up for something the other day that was like, I, I I don't doubt that I was one of many hundreds that were going up for that part in that film. And, you know, it was a crap shot. And I don't think me being an afterlife made any difference whatsoever. You said it. Shush. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't mention it. It's, it's very like hard to not mention it in the context of my CV. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go there, but maybe not yet. But, um, but. But it's funny because I was just wondering about how people perceive you. So, and I think perception, I wonder if it happens when you're going up for, for work. Because I know, because I've been doing it so long now, 35 years, that people perceive me as whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think the perception of you has changed because of now the different things that people see you doing yeah. from the stand-up, from the unmentionable. to so trigger point yeah. that people now... Their perception of you has changed. Which is lovely because it does mean you get more choices. That's that's the very lovely thing. Because when you're one thing, you're only up for one thing. Like when I first left college, I was a young drama graduate. I didn't do comedy then. And uh, possibly having a slightly more working class accent rather than an RP accent, it just meant that I went up for lots of the same kind of parts on right. lots of the same kind of shows and all you ever really want is just options isn't it and choices and be able to do lots of different types of things and as I've found as I've had more options I get to play way more interesting parts so now like I'll play a, an MP or a barrister in adult material or um, a oh, data well. analyst in trigger point or a uh, a private detective in Whitstable Pearl. And it's like, I didn't get those sort of choices when I first left college. It was like nurses and um, five lines as a nurse in casualty. Or I mean, it's just lovely having all these different options now. Uh, Trigger Point's coming back, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. I've, have you started filming? No, I, I, all I know is we're going to be doing it next spring. So I assume they're just writing it. And that did fantastically Amazing. well. Yeah. Now, do you think that, again, then, 
twisted the way people see you. I think so. In the way yeah. it sort of put the unmentionable slightly. I just think once people, you. once you pop up in a few different things, it just means that people go, oh, she was in that and now she's in that. That's all it is. It's just a lovely, you know it when you've watched people's careers suddenly go bump, 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 and they go, you just spot them in different things. And that means you think of them in a different way. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So how do your family see it now? Are you to your kids? To Frank, you're just mum. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Kids, yeah, they're funny, aren't Are they, they aware? Yeah, oh, yeah, they're aware. But my daughter's like into acting and drama and stuff like that. Also, she's a teenager, so she's too cool for school. She doesn't sort of react particularly. I think it's odd for them. I think the whole thing is a bit it is odd, odd for them. It's, it's, it is. Yeah. I think it must be a bit strange. It would, um, would you embrace her saying that she wants to do it? I, I think she, we were already there. Were you at, you were NYT? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I just did like local youth theatre. Right. But um, she does want to do it. And I do have mixed feelings about it. You do? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I sort of think, oh, God, you know, there's lots of upset and rejection and heartache and all those things. But I think it's silly to stop them because that is what she wants to do. And it gave me a lovely life. I met my husband through, we did a play together. You know, it's given me the life I've got. So it would be absurd to sort of stop her from trying. On a very basic level, you just want them to be happy. And if it makes them happy, then they have Absolutely. to go for it. So your husband, so um, how is he about... He's been brilliant. So he is. He, I, I couldn't do it if he hadn't supported me. I mean, I was, I was starting out as a comic when he and I met. And he came to a really early gig and he said, you need to do that. You should do that. Like there's something there. Because early gigs are just pretty much awful. It's like public therapy. I can't <laughs> imagine just, that you ever well, were. They, well, they, they're kind of odd things because you're just looking for a sort of kernel of something that works that you can build on. And he just recognized that there was a future. He was like, it's clearly something you should be doing. And for a few years, you know, I was free to do whatever I wanted. But once we started a family, it does then become quite challenging. And I think even when I started, there was still much few, far fewer women doing it. Now it's way better, like we were just saying about panel shows. But there was still a situation where upon I'd go to a gig and other people would go, who's looking after the kids? And you're like, they're dad. You know, so those sort of questions... They never ask men how they no. juggle. I no, hate no, no, that no, expression. No. no, exactly. How do you, how do, you do it with, you know... Uh. And, and, 
But I could. But the truth of that is that I probably couldn't have done it without him, you know, and his sort of unwavering support, really. And do you try things out on him? Um, subliminally, not in a kind of sit there, listen to me. <laughs> I might do that awful thing that comics sometimes do, which is they sort of drop ideas into an exchange and see if it makes him laugh. I still love making him laugh. So it is kind of, sometimes it falls short because I'll make him laugh and try it on stage and it will crash and it'll be like, oh, made Ben laugh. So how does it feel if somebody, if it does crash, if somebody doesn't laugh at that thing? It's that, horrible. Yeah. But you See, just that's move on. Bit, I don't... Yeah, of course, oh. it's mortifying, but you just move on. You style it out. I've become very good at styling things out. I can't imagine anybody not laughing. <laughs> so your tour then, obviously because of um, uh, coronavirus and everything, that everything for stand-up, that was... All put all on hold. Put on yeah. hold. It was all put on so hold. So how the the tour now? You're you're doing stuff again, aren't you? You're yeah. back out there. So I I finally got all those dates in, and we did them, and they went really well, and I really enjoyed it. And when it came to an end, finally I sort of played the last of the. I mean, there was one that was like right at the end of the end because when I was supposed to do it, I got COVID, so I had to cancel that one and put that one right back. And so I finally did the last of all of the dates that had been previously in pre-pandemic. And I wasn't ready to stop doing that show. So I sort of asked my agent if we could just put another block in, which is what we're doing for this yeah. autumn. And I'm I'm really glad because I still really like that show. And it has had a funny journey. When you write something pre-pandemic, then you tweak it to sort of like the emergence of us all out of those lockdowns. Now I think that's starting to feel a bit like it's sort of, we're distancing ourselves from that kind yeah, of episode. Yeah. So now I can sort of tweak it again to fit. So when you finish that, mm. so... Other comics, are, I always ask this, but when you put one to bed and you, you then start building oh, it's on a horrible another... transition. Yes. I hate... It's the worst part of it because when you've done a whole hour and you've got it really nice and slick, you just can't imagine ever being able to do it again. But don't novelists feel like that when they write a book and then they can't imagine writing another one? I mean, it's, it does feel like You're I so can't imagine it. doing it all again and going back to the foothills and being but you will, shit again. You? And just starting from the beginning <laughs> with ideas and going, is this funny? Is this funny? Do you think this is funny? But you just have to, I suppose. You That's will, won't you? You're not going yeah, to Yeah, I don't know. I assume not. Oh. No. Well, no. But I don't have a plan. I've never had a grand plan. It's all been... You know, I don't plan anything really much more than five or six months ahead. Really? You've never done that? No, but I suppose now having done it for as long as I've done it, there's a pattern that I can see with retrospect and go, oh, yeah, you do do a new hour every few years, so you probably will keep that up. So, right. Because back in the day I'd do Edinburgh, so it would be Edinburgh that would mark those transitions. But now I don't really do Edinburgh anymore, so it has to be self... I was going to say inflicted, but that sounds slightly more... um, Yeah. But Violent. it is actually. It is self-inflicted. <laughs> yes. So at some point, I and my agent will go, shall we start maybe working on a new show? Wow. Okay. And she's brilliant. And she'll be the one that'll go, let's put some new material nights in. Let's work towards a new tour. And she will give me that kind of nudge and that confidence impetus. to just come on, build it up. But you've got Trigger Point and you've got other stuff as well that, that sort of will take up that time. But you might... I presume you're always you bubbling itchy, away yeah, yeah itchy feet yeah there's always a sort of little voice at the back it used to be a notebook but now it's the smartphone and you just put the odd thing in and once you've got enough of them you go oh, I could get a routine out of that maybe. Oh, see I love that yeah that's I that think... is the creative side of it that's why I quite like Twitter I've never kind of thrown it in on like I have love hate relationship as we all do with social media but actually the side of it that I quite like is jokes 
that you can try a joke out on Twitter or not even a joke, but just an observation and sort of get a sense of whether it's got resonance or a bit of a like connection. If people respond to it in an interesting way, you go, oh, there's a routine there. There's something I can do with that. What makes you laugh? Oh, God, loads of things make me laugh. Like what? Well, other comics and my friends and family life. and So which comics? Who oh, makes God, you laugh? Oh, God, loads of them. I mean, that's the part of my job I love the most is that I can watch comedy all the time. Like, like I just said, we was lat Latitude this summer and spent most of the time in the comedy tent because my kids wanted to. Oh, how lovely. And just really enjoyed just watching stand-up, just really enjoying stand-up. So and that you have this amazing community. Yeah, I do like uh, that side of it. And and you're all very supportive of one another. Yeah. And it doesn't feel competitive at all. No. And that's very rare when you get a bunch of performers together. You're sometimes you've you know, we've seen those elbows. Yeah. You and I have seen people with those elbows who do that and they sort of go, No, I want that, I want that. But with with the comedy community, you feel that you all support one another. That has been my experience, definitely. I mean, I think you're right about the old elbows out. And I've, you know, we've all witnessed yes. a bit of that now and then. But in the main, I do genuinely feel like it's a very supportive community, without a doubt. Okay, so we have to, let's mention the unmentionable <laughs> because um, uh, if I, I often walk past him in the park and I, do you? I, I, I might just stick my tongue out and go, <laughs> you know what, we didn't talk about you. Um, okay, so let's talk about afterlife. Uh, it was a phenomenon. Uh, it, did, I presume you didn't think, you had no idea how it was going no. to end up being so huge no, throughout the world. The world. No, and because I'd done Derek already, I'd already worked with uh, Ricky on another project, so it felt like a nice continuation yes, of a relationship. Just a follow-on from yeah, the past. Yeah, and last one. I wasn't one hundred percent sure uh, what when he first mentioned it. It was like quite at that stage, still early days, so it was quite vague. And he was like, "I'm like this thing. Do you want to play my dead wife?" And I didn't quite know what that meant. And but obviously now I realize, you know, the size of it, but that couldn't have been known at the beginning by anyone, including him. It's just blown up. I think it well, it was just so nice to see something that made everybody think. And actually comedy, comedy can really do that. Mm. See, I've left it. We've, that's it. We've done it. We've <laughs> talked about afterlife. Good comedy should do that. But like it, it yes. you know, and now we're living, I think things change and evolve and the Americans have always been really good at those kind of hybrid comedy drama things. They've always put drama. Yes. And we always used to do comedy and it's comedy and it's half an hour and it's six episodes of half an hour and you've got to have a high gag rate and and it's not sad and there's nothing else going on. And now I don't think we're in that place anymore. And most good comedies now have got a narrative and a drama and but things like Fleabag or I May Destroy You. That's like extreme yes. drama next to proper high comedy with jokes, you know. But it never, the, the thing about afterlife and actually and and the other ones you just mentioned you never feel guilty about having that laugh and I think that is a really that's a very very fine line mm. that those comedies that make you think the stand-ups those you know that people do that you do that make you think that but don't make you feel guilty for for laughing at something that's heartbreaking yeah and that's such a fine line and it's such it's a beautiful it's a beautiful fine line yeah well it's humanity isn't it you're yeah. just sort of distilling lots of people say though that uh, actually going back to where we started about you shouldn't make jokes about x and y and it, these days i do feel it, it it's possibly tougher 
Mm. Um, I loathed it in the day when people felt it was free reign to be um, racist and anti-Semitic and um, uh, homophobic and all of that. I loathed that. I don't yeah. find humor in that at all. But I feel that you have to be e more careful now over little things, things that might make you laugh, but you know you can't take it out there. Other comics have said you do have to sometimes self-check. Yeah, and it is a, I mean, it does seem to be an ongoing transition, cultural transition at the moment. But no one who's been cancelled as such, I don't know. I, I don't witness that many people being cancelled that haven't done or said something that, you know, yeah. isn't okay. Yeah. You know, it's like if, if you... Who's going to accidentally be racist or accidentally be misogynistic? It's like, I don't know. I know that. I, sorry, I don't mean those. It's I a think, really difficult subject. I think there are the other subjects that people, it's like people, uh, obviously, um, that after the death of the Queen, mm. there was a lot of people saying, This you don't make fun of. Of course, you don't make fun of it, but how do you cope with that when yeah. you're a comedian? Something that the world is in mourning for. How do you cope with these things as a comedian? It's a very fine line. But satire has always had a function in yeah. the yeah, world yeah. of comedy and people subverting what, what's okay and what's not okay. And like I just said, saying, you know, literally <laughs> the thing that shouldn't be said is sort of the job of the jester, you know, yes. in the court. Yes. It, it yes. is difficult to find that what's okay and what's not okay. And everyone's moral compass at the moment seems to be in very different places. But... It's not a comic's job or a comedian's job to seek to offend. It, it's just to, to say, I mean, I always think it's, I don't, I think the territory that I sort of use for my comedy is emotions and feelings and hypocrisies and these sort of thing. You're sort of slightly poking a stick at our, our underbelly and our sort of vulnerable side or whatever. And that hypocrisy is funny. I yes. find it funny. And we have so many hypocrisies in our social norms you know, that we're learning on a very steep slope at the moment that we're all culpable of hypocrisy and we have conflicting opinions and we can hold two truths. And this culture war is forcing us into these sort of polarities that are, are unex they're not part of who we are. You know, we can, I can be a, a Republican or not, I don't massively agree with the royal family as a concept or the monarchy, but I feel sad that the Queen died. Yeah. And I can have those two truths in my you know, canon and can do that and talk about that and express that. And that can be funny. I can find humor in it. That's why you have, I'm going back to how I started, that you have funny bones. I think you're one of those people that is a rare, you have a rare thing that you can walk down the street. And I, this is a weird thing to say. Okay, please take this in the right way. That I know that if I was to see you walking down the street, I would laugh. <laughs> not because of the way you walk. Well, that's nice because at the moment when I walk down the street, people want to hold me and go, she's alive. <laughs> and they, they cry around me. So I'm like, no, <laughs> oh, really? So, oh, I have a lot of that, yeah. It was really weird at Glastonbury Festival because I suppose that's a high concentration of humans in yes. one location. So my friend that I was with and my brother just found it hilarious that so many people would come up to me and go, oh, it's you. And just... No, really? yeah, it was really odd. It was really people. Bizarre. So people can't tell the difference. Well, between... they just uh, suddenly. I suppose the nature of that character and the way that that story is told is that I sort of, you know, I'm I'm shown in videos and retrospectively, yeah, yeah, yeah. And blah blah blah. There's something visceral about when they see me. It's sort of because they've cried with that yes. show, and 
it's just a visceral reaction. And they're like, oh, it's you. You're, oh. oh, can I give you a hug? It's a strange thing. But maybe also because you're Kerry Godleman stand-up, so we know you by name. You're When you're an actress, you're those characters. But in that... They know you because of your stand-up, but they know you because of that character. I'm just trying to. Think. I know it's funny. I just it's a you walk those, but you walk both of those lines. I'm only realising that more so recently. Yeah, that it's kind of because often if people stop me, I always assume it's afterlife, and then more often than I predict, it's Taskmaster. People will be like Taskmaster, bosh. And they love it. So, so it's not always. So it's afterlife first, taskmaster second. Yeah, and then occasionally all kinds of things like save me or trigger point or other bits and pieces that I've done over the last few years. And that's lovely. That's really nice when it's. I not love what the idea of everyone wanting. See, I would just laugh. That's, that's <laughs> well, not that's really rude. Looking at no. somebody going, you just, but you, you just don't make me laugh. Well, laugh. that's that's my job. How and also, you've been watching loads of stand up lately. Yeah, but no, but I did before when you were on. So it wasn't just the, yeah, just yeah. for this. Yeah. I have always, you. I think when I interviewed you on the radio, and it was whenever it was, and I, I think it was about Trigger Point, but, and I, and I just, honestly, I put down the phone and I was giggling to myself thinking, you make me laugh. Well, what really worries me sometimes, and I, sh- I shouldn't let it, is that if that, is when I'm doing a show like Trigger Point or Adult Material, which was like, you know, heavy. Adult Material was superb. And my character, what I love about that character. But that's what I mean is you yeah. got, you panic and go, oh, I hope I don't evoke sort of that sort of response when no, I'm no, playing. No, no, really, no, no. No, but that is an interesting dilemma for a comedian to be able to be cast in serious drama. So I'm really glad that I have been able to get cast in some serious drama and not tipped over into, oh, now... She just can't does do that. She can, she just laugh, you know. Although I did a thing called Treadstone, which was like this American, American. You've like, got your head. You've got your head in your hands. <laughs> Why? Because I do You're think. Blushing. I think I pushed. Because I had played an American character, and I'm not 100 percent sure my accent was like rock solid. And occasionally, sometimes people will find me on Twitter and go, "You turned up in that thing," and I just was like, "What's she doing in that?" Because it was. A tiny bit incongruous with my casting and my persona. I'm so sorry. I haven't seen it. Well, so no, what, what? I'm really glad you haven't because I've got a slight feeling that it would make you laugh and it shouldn't. Oh, it really? It make you Well, laugh. what was the character? Well, she was a kind of spooky, uh, kind of double agent-y. Oh, it's hard to explain, but it's just interesting that in that particular bit of casting, I just thought, oh, I might be pushing people's disbelief. Right, okay, you do you know what we're all going to do now. We yeah, are, go and have a look. Oh, go and have, have a look, look and go, that. oh, yeah, maybe she's right. Just like, what? That doesn't fit somehow. But okay. then, you know. I love that. And I love, carry on doing what you do. Carry on doing everything across the board. And and congratulations on all of it. And and oh, what's to come because there's so much to come. I hope you feel that. Do you feel that? Well, it is, like I was saying earlier, it's a nice position to sort of finally feel like there might be some choices, like that you can go, oh, shall I do that? Or shall oh, I how do? wonderful. It, and, and so much of this profession, you know, is is quite challenging. It is quite hard. And sometimes you don't have the privilege of choices. You just take the work and do what you have to do. So it's nice to kind of go, oh, I can choose things. And that's lovely. Thank you so much for oh, being on this. Thank you for asking me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And coming up next week, the delightful Emily Sunday. She talks about her life, her career, and working with the incredible Nile Rogers. 
That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly presented to you by Cameo Productions with music by Beth Macari. If you wouldn't mind, could you give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, and please leave a review? We read them all and love to see what you've got to say. See you next week.